Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Awesome. We've, uh, we've been sharing, as Tony uh, so eloquently sort of re- recapitalised on, we've been talking about being generous in June and generous with our, with our words, generous with our, um, with our worship. Generous was our wealth last week and this week, just for the sake of consistency, generous with our work, all starting with W, pretty clever, right? We had a meeting, we figured that out. Um, it was awesome. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I might have a little thing for alliteration like that. I might have a little thing where I like to, yeah, anyway, <laughs> it could be a problem. Um, I'm, I'm, the only thing in my world that is organized or was organized since we moved house, it's not really, is um, my DVDs are in alphabetical order, right? I, I have a problem. I'm being honest with you this morning. Um, <clears throat> fantastic. And so this morning, I want to talk with you about the topic of being generous with our work. Amazing uh, challenge that's gone out to us. I really believe, uh, and I want, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to church on Sunday and hear great messages and then walk out and just do nothing with them. Uh, I believe that we come into church and if we come in with an open heart, ready to receive what it is that God is saying and and rather than, and I know some of us do this, I've been guilty of this, sitting in a message and going, oh, that'd be really good for so-and-so, they should really hear that. Um, anybody? <laughs> yeah. Uh, rather than being of that mindset, but for us to sit in church and say, God, what is it about that that needs to change and affect the way I do life? Not my wife really needs to hear that. That would be great. No, no, my husband really needs to get a hold of that. But what about me? What about me sitting in church? How how does that challenge come to me? So to be generous with my words, have I taken that challenge and applied it and done something with it? Or is it just a good message? I I figured out because um, I I made a habit of doing this a long time ago. You might have noticed this. When you go through drive-through windows, most of the people that serve you are teenagers. Yeah, I, I have a burden for the teenagers of this generation. So my mindset is always, what does it look like if this kid comes to my youth ministry? I want them to remember me from the drive-through window so that when that, oh, that guy was really friendly to me when he came through the drive-through window. Rather than, oh, that guy was the rudest little son of a gun that's ever come through my window, didn't give me the time. I want to distinguish myself because you don't know when you're preaching. Some of the best messages that are ever preached will never be in a platform. Some of the best messages are simply in your facial expression. And can I be this honest? It really doesn't take much to distinguish yourself from the crowd. Just a simple please and thank you is so foreign in this culture in which we live that you can set yourself apart from everybody else just by using manners. Talk about easy, right? And then our worship. I, I hope that we, we don't come to church and just get into the rut of being complacent. We do two fast songs and a slow song and then they're going to do that and then we're going to give and we, just, and we just get into autopilot. And yet we had a message about being generous with our worship. And we know from the dictionary that generosity is defined as that which is over and above, that which is unnecessary. When was the last time you did something unnecessary in worship? Oh, I, don't, I don't have to raise my hand. Yeah, I know. That's maybe why you should. Because it's unnecessary. Oh, I don't have to go down the front. That's for the young people. Oh, I know you don't have to. 
But maybe you should because that's about being unnecessary. That's the extravagance of what God did for us, right? Sent Jesus, not just an angel, not just a lackey, not just, you know, the nearest best thing. The absolute best that heaven had was the extravagance of His love towards us to simply say, you know what, I'm going to give you my best. And if our job and our role is to be Christ ones, Christians, then surely the mandate for us is to be extravagant givers. And then we had, with our wealth and all the eyes in the room rolled, and I promise you I don't have a private jet. I don't need fuel for it. Um, It's not about that. This is about using something that's in our hand to express something that's in our heart. It's about engaging with the broken people. I want to tell you a great... I haven't even got a chance to tell you this story yet, but um, but I'm going to tell the story, and you're going to hear it right now. I I think it'll be exciting. I had had a meeting with... um, a high school in the area, Para Hills High School, on Thursday. I met with the manager of uh, student services. She coordinates all the counselling and all that kind of stuff in the high school. And uh, uh, so through the chaplain there, um, I met with both of them. And we sat down and I said, look, I don't want to talk to you about, like, we can come in and we can do that and we can do that. I want to talk to you about where are the needs for this high school? What are the things that you need? Because we at Victory Church, we're about engaging the community at a place of need. That's what we want to do. We want to minister to the needs of our community. We want to make sure that we're engaging and not just patting ourselves on the back by creating something that's social justice oriented so we can feel it. But we actually want to meet a need. And, uh, and she said to me, you know what? What we need is, is, is male role models. Probably 60 to 70% of the young people in this school come from broken homes. And most of them have been exposed to domestic violence at some level. And so they have a warped perception of what a male authoritative figure looks like in their life. If you were just to come in at lunchtime and kick a footy and value these young people, you would change their lives. (sighs) Yep, I'll be there next Tuesday. What? It's so simple. It's so simple. And yet, then she proceeded to say, you know what? We have families that come to this school that we're trying to find services to connect them to because their kids come to school without food. Because they're that broke, they can't afford lunch. They go without meals. There's days at a time where they don't eat. And we don't know where to connect them to get those needs met. Well, you connect them here. That's what you do. This is the church. This is why generosity with our wealth is important, right? Because we need to, I'm the kind of Christian that wants to watch a current affair. You know, when you see those stories of tragedy on a current affair, and it's always Scott Cam and his lackeys that get in there and fix the situation. I just kind of feel like that should actually be the church. Like we should be watching current affair and going, we can fix that. We can fix that. But all of that stuff takes resource. That's why we've got to get a spirit of generosity in our wealth so that we can meet these needs head on and be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Jesus was worried about about 5,000 people who didn't have lunch, right? We've got a school six minutes down the road. This is not Indonesia. This is not Africa. This is a school six minutes down the road with people in poverty and we have an opportunity to make a difference. I kind of think that's what God would want us to do. Anyway, that's exciting. So we'll be in Para Hills School every Tuesday uh, next term, um, which is really exciting. Um, I need to get my notes out. I just got all excited. I didn't get my notes out. I'm hoping I haven't dropped them on the floor somewhere, which is entirely possible. What did I do with my notes? Are they down there somewhere? I'm just going to wing this one. They were in my Bible. (laughs) That's all right. They're in the front here. They're hiding. I've got them. I've got them. Thank you, Jesus. You all thought you were getting an early minute then, didn't you? (laughs) 
Fantastic. Fantastic. I want to speak to you this morning about the topic flowing on from that. And once again, this to me is not a conversation about outworking. This is a conversation about a hard attitude. Uh, Generous June is not about how do we get people to give more money. It's not about that. It's about how do we change people's way that they interact with money? How do we uh, address a mindset towards it so that people don't become slaves to money, but slave money becomes a slave to people, right? How how do we address that mindset and and shift it upside down and turn it into something that is God-glorifying and obviously part of our call as the church? And so... Generosity, as we've spoken about, is a readiness to give more of something than is expected or required. And work is defined as an activity involving mental or physical effort in order to achieve a result. I'm not 100% sure that we as a church understand what servanthood actually means. Because servanthood is the kind of a catch cry, right? It's the, the hipster thing in the modern church we like to talk about. You know, just the spirit of servanthood and a heart to serve. Um, but that actually means work, right? You get that? I don't know if everyone does. Oh, that guy's got such a servant heart until you ask him to do something. So has he actually got a servant heart or is he just a nice person? (laughs) Let's not get the two things confused because servanthood requires serving. Otherwise, it's just a hood. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Jesus himself spoke about servanthood a lot. He spoke in Luke 17 about how when the disciples asked him, how do I build my faith? And he says, well, you serve. That's how you build your faith. And you don't ask for a thank you. You just serve because you know that you're a servant who's repaying a gift that was given to you. Now, I want to be clear right at the outset. I am not talking about a works program. We do not do work to get saved. But we certainly should do work because we're saved. There should be a working from, not a working to. See, we don't have to sit here and go, if I do enough good stuff, I'll earn God's love and I'll earn God's acceptance. No, no. If you've made a decision to invite Jesus into your heart, you have God's love and you have God's acceptance. But because of what that wholeness now brings into your world and the passion that that stirs up within you, now we should have a desire to do something with it, right? I think we're right. Cool. John 13, we see Jesus. I just want to preface this story by saying this. Jesus came to earth, right? In the light of eternity, he speaks about our life being a vapor. It's, it's over. It's gone. 60, 70 years, bang, gone. Jesus came for 33. 33 years, that's it. 30 years of that, he prepared himself for a moment of release into three years of significant ministry. How many of you think if the God of the universe understands that he has to have enough impact in those three years of ministry to reverberate down through generation after generation after generation so that one day a victory church would be sitting here in Adelaide declaring the name of Jesus based on what he did when he walked the planet 2,000 years ago. And hopefully, if we do this right, we'll be passing this on from generation to generation to generation. Out of the impact of three years, he's not going to waste time and space in those three years. He's not going to go, look, disciples, we're taking a day off. Let's just go play some Xbox. Hey, disciples, let's just go play some pinball down the arcade, get some fish and chips and hang. 
right? He is understanding that everything that is being done crammed into those three years is of significance. And the things that we read about in the Bible are there for a divine purpose and divine reason. They are important for us to get our head around, yeah? Um, So we don't want to take these things for granted, skim over stories, pretend like that one doesn't apply to us. We're talking about this is God Himself walking the planet, showing us how to live and what this thing should look like, yeah? 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 Awesome, great. Very cool. So in light of that, John chapter 13, we have Jesus gathers the disciples and He gathers them in a room and they're they're sitting down to eat. And they've all come in from the dusty road. And Jesus does this amazing, incredible thing. He gets a towel, wraps it around His waist, gets a bowl of water, gets down on His hands and feet, hands and knees, and washes the feet of the disciples. Let's just put that in context. We just sung a song about when my knees hit the ground. That's when His knees hit the ground, right? A divine picture of the God of the universe stooping down into our mess to clean us. Prophetic picture of what He was actually doing but also a practical example of what we're supposed to do. Now, let's put this in in context. He was the leader, right? He was the boss guy. He was the head guy. It should have been one of the lackeys, surely, that cleaned feet. Why was cleaning feet such a big deal? Ask Tanae, she hates feet. (laughs) She has a feet problem. Just If you're wearing thongs, just walk up to her afterwards and just show her your feet. She'll probably jump. Um, it's just a feet thing, but um, <laughs> it's, it's a bit disturbing if I'm honest. But um, Why were feet such a big deal when you're not Tanae? The reason why feet are such a big deal is because you can imagine back in the day, they're walking through dusty streets in the Middle East, right? It's dry, it's hot, there's dust everywhere, and they're walking up and down these streets. Now, I don't want to be crude or over the top, but in that day and age, they didn't have cars. Everything was carried by donkeys and other animals and whatever else. And so the streets were full of the byproduct of donkeys and camels and horses all over the roads. So their feet were caked in dust and manure. And the Son of God, the right hand, the eternal one in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, that guy knelt down in animal dung and dust at the feet of a bunch of teenage boys who were fishermen and tax collectors and began to wash the dirt and the grime from their feet. Oh, sorry, mate, I don't do cleaning the toilets. Oh, don't you? Glad you're not Jesus then. Sorry, mate, that's not how I roll. That's beneath me. Oh, really? Really? I don't know what Bible you're reading. Just saying. And we read in red, words of Jesus, verse 14, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I 
have done. And in verse 17, it says, Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So first thing, right? Now you know. I'm sorry. <laughs> you were here this morning. You don't get the luxury now of standing before God one day and saying, Oh, I didn't know. Because now you know. So I wrecked your excuse. I'm really sorry. But you're stuffed. The good part about it is, but it's not the motive for doing it, but the good part about it is God will bless you for doing it. Awesome. That's exciting, right? Sorry. Not exciting. Sorry, not sorry. Um, we see Jesus working in gener- generosity. Remember, that's unnecessary, right? Generosity is like the over the top. That's the, he didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that. To set an example for us is he set the bar and he said, this is what I'm doing. This is what you've got to do. You're going to have to clean up some other people's mess. You're going to have to get down and humble yourself. It could get smelly. You might have a feet thing. That would be awkward. None of that is an excuse. Because if anybody had an excuse, it was Jesus. Wasn't he going to go and die on a cross? Isn't that enough? Wasn't he going to be tortured? Wasn't that enough? Was he going to raise from the dead? Wasn't that enough? Wasn't he going to heal sick and blind? And Wasn't that enough? But this is unnecessary, Jesus. This is over the top. Yeah, yeah. That's generosity, right? That, that's the example. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to say, yeah. Wait till the end of the message. Um, <clears throat> here we go. In Matthew 20, 26, he says, Whoever wants to be great among you, he should be the servant of all. Oh, gee, it's a bit heavy. A bit heavy. Here's the thing. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, We are... His workmanship, that's good, I was made by, we like that bit, right? I was made in God's image. I'm God's child. Apparently God is balding. (laughs) I was made in his image. I'm pretty awesome. All the bald men in the room said amen. (laughs) That's right. We're okay with it. (laughs) There's a support group. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Anyway, we are his workmanship. Oh, that's awesome. I was made by the hand of God. I'm so special. You're unique. You're special. God has a purpose for your life. Created. Yes, God made me. For. Oh, hang on. What was I made for? Here we go. His purpose and destiny. I was made for good works in Christ. Oh, right. Work. A big part of works is work. And I know that we're allergic to that. But the truth of the matter is, you were made to do stuff. Well, I just don't want to be manipulated by the church. Don't be manipulated by the church. Be dictated to by the truth of God's word. How about that? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. You will never find the level of fulfillment in your life that you're looking for until you learn how to do some things for God, until you learn how to get out of your own way and actually do some work for the purpose of God. We're praying for this destiny that's this nebulous idea. The destiny that God has for your life is going to require some hard flipping work. That's just how it is. I'm sorry. I'm not saying, and the reality is, no matter how hard you work, you still can't do it. But it doesn't mean you don't have to work hard. Hmm. So here we go. Is everyone still with me? Do you hate me yet? 
Okay, cool. Give it a minute. <sighs> Excellent. Um, I'm going to talk to you about one of my heroes in the faith. It's a demonstration of a man who understood this principle. Uh, I'm going to pull out a few points that I believe are going to bless you and challenge you. And, uh, and then we're going to go from there. So a guy by the name of Stephen, you'll find his story in the book of Acts, chapter 6, 7, and 8. I love the book of Acts because we see what the Holy Spirit does when he gets involved in your life. Uh, we see his outworking and incredible things begin to happen and change in the life of the early church. And I believe for us, much of the pattern which we build upon uh, moving forward is found in the book of Acts. That's where the church is kind of is set up. And so we have this incredible man by the name of Stephen um, who engages in, in, the, in the process of unnecessary generosity in his work. And, and out of that, there are certain keys and principles that flow that I believe are key for us and hopefully will challenge you. I'm going to, a few points and we're going to be done. Still with me? Cool. Before I go there, though, I do, I do want to share a story that I did share in the chapel service. I remember <clears throat> a few years ago, I was involved in a, in a conference called Planet Shakers Conference um, and as part of the band there. And, and I think it was about year six or year seven, we had uh, conferences that were happening and the thing had gotten so big that we were traveling around. So we'd do a conference in Adelaide, which would overlap with the conference in Perth because there weren't venues big enough and there was guys traveling from Perth. And so there would be a Monday to a Thursday and then a Wednesday to a Saturday and there'd be people flying backwards and forwards and blah, blah. And then we'd do a, a Sydney, Melbourne with a crossover and then we'd do Brisbane as the last weekend. We'd do two venues at once. So we'd have two venues running at the same time and there'd be people driving backwards and forwards and they'd stagger the times a little bit so they'd get the speakers. It was an amazing, incredible time. There's probably uh, 40 or 50,000 kids all over Australia in all these conferences. It was incredible, amazing, amazing time. And it was an amazing thing to be involved in. Part of the band playing there, just doing it. And it was, it was, it was great. But uh, in January, as you can imagine, it was really stinking hot. And I don't know if you've ever been to a Planet Shakers meeting, but they're pretty high energy. And so by the time we got to the, the last week in Brisbane... As a band, we were shot. We were shattered. We'd been traveling all over the country, not much sleep, playing three, four sessions a day, just tired, plus rehearsals and everything else. And so we got to the, the week of Brisbane, and um, I think it was about the second session. Uh, we came off stage, and we were out, out the back in the green room, just kind of lying out, going, <gasps> and, um, and I remember Pastor Russell came out, and he said, look, guys, I know that this is your fifth con uh, com conference in a row, <laughs> And I know that you're all tired, but this is these kids. It's their first conference. And we can't have you go out there and deliver just, you know, your tiredness. We need, to, we need to move into the grace. We need to step. And so he prayed for us. It was great. We got up. We went out. We smashed it. The next session was high energy. It was great. We came off stage and we were, literally we were in tears because we were so tired. Like, we're like, God, is good. This is so good. I love doing this. It's amazing. And the door opens to the green room and there's Russell Evans. And he's standing there with a bucket of water and a towel. And he says, I want you all to take your shoes off. And we're like, what? This is crazy. I've got stinky feet. I've been jumping around. And he got down on his hands and knees and began to wash our feet. I don't think I've, I've cried that much in my life. I bawled my eyes out, both at the picture that he was painting and the fact that I was so tired. Um, <laughs> But it was one of those moments where we got up off the back of that, off of somebody else's unnecessary generosity in doing something that was totally unnecessary and unexpected. And we got up fired up. We got up fueled with faith, feeling like, you know what? We can do this. That's the power of a generous act. That's the power of, of getting down on your hands and knees and getting your hands dirty and doing something unnecessary and unexpected for somebody. That's the power that comes in that. That's the kind of thing that I believe God is calling us to. So, Let's talk about Stephen. The first thing about Stephen, I've got to hurry up. Oh, Lord, help me. 
First thing about Stephen, uh, generous work starts with a heart willing to step up. It says there was believers rapidly multiplying. We're talking uh, from um, uh, chapter 6 uh, of Acts. It says from verse 2, So the twelve called a meeting of all believers, and they said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. So the brothers selected seven men who were well-respected and full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. It goes through the names of a bunch of other people. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands upon them. The first thing, that generosity in your work starts with a heart that is willing to step up. There was a need. There was an obvious need. Something had to be done. How many times do we walk through church or walk through different places and see an obvious need where something clearly needs to be done and we think of who else's responsibility that thing is to do? Generous works starts with somebody who has a level of ownership that says, I'll step up into the gap. I can see that there's something needed there. And you know what? It's within my capacity to do something about it. So I'm going to do something about it. A heart that sees a need, a heart that steps up. You know what? There was a high level of qualification for this thing. I don't think that God sees things the way that we see things. We place a lot of value on what happens here in the platform. And it's important. But I don't believe there's a hierarchy system where this is any more important than the people who clean the toilets or any more important than the people who mop the foyer or the people who greeted you on the door with a smile on their face and a warm handshake on your way into church this morning. They're not levels of importance to the things that God has you to do. I don't think Jesus, just like there's no scale for sin, I don't believe there's a scale for service either. Different gifts require different expressions, but fundamentally, this guy... He's got higher qualifications than senior pastors that I've met. That's a bit harsh, I can't probably say that. But full of the Holy Spirit, chosen, affirmed, laid on of hands, all this crazy stuff. The Bible says here, right, that um, he was a man full of God's grace, full of power, performing miracles and signs. Are you kidding me? And this guy's a waiter, handing out food to orphans and widows. And in our modern day church would be somewhere down the pecking order. And yet in God's economy, I don't think so. We need to transform the way that we see work. Can I, can I challenge, I'll challenge you with this. You might not like me after this one. Can I challenge you with this thought? Have you ever verbalized, like spoken out loud, the reasons why you don't? The reasons why you're not involved or you're not serving in some capacity, have you ever spoken those things out loud? Because I feel like if you did, it would be like one of those out-of-body experiences where you'd be looking at yourself going, for real? <laughs> really? But I think we just have that stuff, that conversation happening internally. And because it's never verbalized, we kind of justify it. But if you were to actually, uh, uh, here's a challenge, right? The next time an opportunity comes up to serve, get out your phone, press voice record, tell it all the reasons why you don't, press pause, play it back to yourself, and then kick your own butt for how ungodly and unscriptural all of those reasons are. All right. I, I just, people filter the word of God through their life. That's not how it was designed. You're supposed to filter your life through the Word. It's not the other way around, right? So the Word doesn't change based on your experience. So if, if your excuses can get through here, by all means, go ahead. 
If your excuses do not get through here, and I would suggest that you start with the stories towards the back of the Gospels where Jesus was carrying a cross up a hill and was beaten up and was nailed to that cross and died a cruel and painful death. I would suggest that you start with the Scriptures about his back being like a freshly ploughed field, like the Scriptures about him being unrecognisable as a man based on the beating that he had received. And if your, if your excuses for not getting involved get through that part of the Gospel, just that part of the Gospel, I'll let you off. But if they don't, perhaps it's not the church that needs to adjust. I'm just saying. Still love me. Okay. Verbalize the reasons why you don't and then counsel yourself. Isn't that what David did? Because our flesh likes to have a say, right? Our flesh likes to tell us what's what. And we sometimes give it too loud of a voice. And it's about time we started to just verbalize it out and then actually counsel yourself. I wouldn't suggest that you do that around people because everybody would love to counsel you. When you verbalize your reasons, they're going to love to cut you down, right? Just do that in the quiet space and get yourself sorted. Otherwise, it could get ugly. Awesome. You with me? We all okay? Say amen or ouch, right? That's what we do. So here we go. I want to give you eight quick things that happen when you activate a spirit of generosity in your work. Are you ready? And then we're done. And yeah, then we're done. Oh, Lord. Eight quick things. The first thing that happens is in uh, Acts 6, verse 7, it says, So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. The first thing that happens when you activate generosity in your work is multiplication and influence come to the church. Whatever it is that you're involved in and attached to, when you start to activate a spirit of the unnecessary generosity, over the top kind of, you don't have to do that. Yeah, I know, but it's not about what I have to do. It's about what I love to do. It's about what I get to do. It's about the extra mile attitude. Yeah, I don't know if you know, but I've got a Jesus that went to the cross and did totally unnecessary things so that I could walk in freedom, so that I could have healing, so that I could have promise and destiny. So for me to just do the bare essentials, that wouldn't seem fitting. It would seem like a, he deserves more than that. And so therefore, I'm going to go above and beyond in my generosity with my work. Yeah, uh, multiplication and influence come to whatever you're doing. Do you know how influential you can be in your workplace if you don't just do what's basic required? You can change the landscape of what that workplace looks like just by being the one who, and I actually heard a story this week about Ben doing the dishes off the clock, staying late. That, that impacts people. You don't always see that impact straight away. But that impacts people's lives. You can change the culture of your workplace by being the extra mile. And why don't we? Well, you know, they'll take advantage of you if you do it. Did you hear what you just said? Verbalize it, record it, play it back to yourself, and then measure it with the word. If they take advantage of you because you're generous with your work, that's their problem, not yours. Right? Multiplication and influence. You might get that promotion not by telling everybody how good you are, but by just getting your head down, bum up, and do some extra work. Be generous. Do above and beyond. Pay for somebody's lunch. Take somebody out for lunch. Buy a mechanic Coke. Bring extra lunch because this guy's always hungry. I don't know. Do something generous with your work, you know. Uh, your neighbor's lawn is out of control when you're mowing yours. Just cart the mower over there and mow theirs too. You just never know. Next time you invite them to the Christmas show, they might be a little bit more receptive because you've been mowing their lawns for the last six months. Who knows? I'm just saying, your generosity with your work, you're doing the unnecessary over the top with your work could just be the catalyst for the church to grow and explode based off the back of that. I don't know. Point number two, 
is in chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. When you are generous with your work, you position yourself for the miraculous. Miracles happen when you're generous. God brings provision and supply when you're generous. But here's the thing. Stephen didn't then get up and preach in a platform. It says he did the miracles among the people. He didn't go, right, now that you all love me because I've given you food, I'm just going to get up on the platform and preach the message. The miracles happened on the ground where the people are. The power of the church is going to take place when the miracles are happening during the week in whatever you're doing. Not when you get on the platform. We don't, we don't need to bring evangelists in here to win souls if you're winning souls out there. We don't need to bring healing evangelists in here if you are getting people healed in your workplace. I'm, I'm looking for the day when we come to church on Sunday and out of our generosity in our workplace where, oh uh, yeah, well, so-and-so got healed this week and so-and-so got healed this week and that happened this week and that amazing, incredible generosity over there and that need met and that person did that. What an amazing environment that creates when we're not waiting for a miracle to be activated from here, but the miracle is actually activated Activated right there. Mm. I'm excited. This next point, it's kind of like the disclaimer that they do on those political ads. You know, where they talk really fast at the end because they don't want you to know what they're actually saying? Or one of those back ones? Should consider the product disclosure statement available at your local branch or whatever it is. And you're like, what the hell did you say? They don't really want you to know, but they legally have to tell you that bit, right? If I was sneaky, I would be telling you this next point like that. But I'm not. I'm an honest kind of guy. I'm generous. So I'm going to give it to you straight up. And this is from the life of Stephen. When you're generous with your work, you will get the attention of the enemy. It just happens. You know what happens when you're generous? It highlights other people who aren't. And the instant response from most of the people that you're highlighting that in is to try and tear you down to their level. It's just what will happen. You will go, you know what? I'm going to go to work on Monday and I'm going to be generous. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be generous with my work. I'm going to do something amazing. Or I'm going to get involved in such and such a team in the life of the church and I'm going to serve. And the minute you do and you tell your friend who doesn't want to be involved, he's been in church for a long while and they're a little bit hurt and disappointed with a few things, they'll tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't. They'll hurt you. They'll use you. Well, yeah, they will use you. Isn't that the point? Who remembers that old song? If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. I remember that song. It's a great song, right? If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Just don't use me. Hang on a minute. We sang that in church and everyone was like, oh, yes, anointing. Thank you, Jesus. And then five years later, they're disenfranchised with the church and they're upset about something and someone didn't talk to them nicely. And I just feel so used by the church. Shouldn't you be praising? Isn't that a prayer answered? I feel used by the church. Awesome! I prayed for that. And God answered my prayer. That's incredible. That should build your faith. It's got it on its head, right? I feel used by the church. Brilliant! That's so fantastic. The next person who tells me they feel used by the church, that's what I'm going to do. I can expect them to jump, right? Because I'm going to do it just like that. Brilliant! Oh my God. That'd be so good. Hey, the call of God won't always be easy. The call of God won't... Can I actually... I'm a, let me be honest with you, right? In war, you always put your defences the strongest around the most valuable asset, Right? 
So why is it when we try and activate something and there's opposition, we back off? Isn't the point the enemy has got his structure of defence around that thing because he actually understands the strategic importance of that asset. And if you get a hold of it, what that's going to do for the church. So if you experience opposition, don't back off, go harder. That's the point, right? I don't know, I'm just saying. If I get involved in something, I'm like, I'm going to serve here and bad stuff starts happening and people hurt my feelings. I'm like, okay, this is important then. Cool. The enemy wants me to back off from this because he's afraid of what happens if I get hold of this. And yet we've got this passive church. It's like, oh, there's opposition there. It mustn't be Jesus. Really? Jonah went down and found a boat going in the complete opposite direction to the purpose of God. And that was easy. Sometimes the easy thing is not the right option. And yet Jesus, hanging on the cross with nails in his hands and feet, and we sing a lovely song about I fall at the feet of Jesus. If he measured the call of God like we measured the call of God, oh, this can't be it. This hurts too much. They've abandoned me, God. All of my disciples have abandoned me. God himself has turned his back on me. Was it the will of God or wasn't it? If pain is your measuring stick, you're using the wrong measuring stick. Ministry so often is pain. If you're going to allow that to stop you from stepping into the thing that God has for you, you're going to give up way too easy. You couldn't handle it anyway, if I'm honest. You need to get some steel in your belly. You need to get some persistence. You need to get a bit of guts and determination about you. We need a church. This is a battleship as well as a hospital, right? It's, we come in here and we get ministered to and healed and all that. But this is warship as well, you know? We come to take ground from the enemy. We can't attack a culture and turn it upside down and transform it into kingdom culture without fighting some battles. So you better get your battle boots on and get ready to start making some waves. That's all I'm saying. Settle, calm. Everyone calm. What else happens? Number four. So number one, multiplication influence comes to the church. Number two, position for the miraculous. Number three, attention from the enemy. Number four, I love this. In 7.55, chapter 7, verse 55, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. <laughs> when you serve, you activate an open heaven. You activate an open heaven. When you give of your work generously, you activate open. How many of you here would like some favor in your life? Anybody keen? No, not keen? Not interested? Anybody? Who would like some favor in their life? Let me tell you a couple of things about favor, right? Favor ain't fair. Favor is not something you've earned or warranted in any way, shape or form, and yet favor is there. What is favor? Favor is when you get the promotion that probably somebody else was in line for. Favor is when God opens doors that logically shouldn't even be open to you. Favor is when you find yourself in a place where you don't get paid enough to pay your bills and yet you still manage to pay your bills every week. That's favor, right? Favor is when he puts you in a family called Victory Church when you've got brokenness in your own family and you find mums and dads and grandpas and grandmas and, and brothers and sisters and people who'll be, that's favor right there. I want to live a life of favor. Anyone else keen on living a life of favor? Open heaven comes when you activate generosity in your work. He's in the middle of a crisis here. He's in the middle of a bad situation. Yet in the midst of all that, he finds open heaven, activated by his generosity in his work. Number five, it says in the latter part of that verse, he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. You know what happens when you serve? You see Jesus. 
When you serve, I guarantee you, if you serve selflessly and with your whole heart, you'll find Jesus cleaning the toilet. You'll find Jesus mopping a floor, picking up a piece of rubbish, shaking a hand, smiling. You will find a clarity to who Jesus is. How do I know that? Because this is the Jesus that got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of the disciples. So I just think he knows a little something about that. And maybe, just maybe, while you're looking for him to reveal himself to you in a platform opportunity, he's waiting out there with a mop and bucket saying, I'm here waiting for you. Let's do some time together because that's the kind of Jesus that we serve. I don't know if you've seen Bruce Almighty. And while it was a secular film and we don't agree entirely with its theology, (laughs) there's some powerful principles in that and I don't think it's any accident that he's mopping the floor, right? Hiding is a maintenance man. Well, wasn't Jesus a carpenter? Wasn't he a maintenance man fundamentally? Jesus is hiding in plain sight. But because he doesn't look like a platform opportunity, we miss him. Just saying. This is another one of those disclaimer ones. I'm nearly done. You still with me? Um, Stephen died. Spoiler alert. (laughs) What happens when you serve? You die. That's the point though, isn't it? I must decrease that he might increase. Some of us just need to die to self. There's three voices. I've heard that said there's three voices, right? There's yours, there's the enemy, and then there's God that is speaking in your world. Well, let's just take one of them out of the equation. And then it's a one-on-one. And I'll back Jesus in a one-on-one all day. I actually back Jesus in a hundred-on-one, but you know what I'm saying? We don't have that third voice confusing things because I'm dying to myself. Maybe this gets easier. Maybe this just gets You know, we allow God's voice to be the loud voice that speaks on our behalf rather than uh, waiting for our own voice to have its own input based on our emotions and how it makes us feel and blah, blah, blah. When you serve, you die to self, man. You die to self when you drag your bum out of bed at seven o'clock in the morning to get here for a 7.30 rehearsal to serve on a music team. You die to self when you get out of here. I had to open my door this morning in my car and there was ice. At that point, I wanted to get back into bed. (laughs) It's warm in bed. You die to self every time you make that decision, right? A little less of me, a little more of him. Nearly done. The gospel is spread. It says that off the back of the persecution of Stephen and the death that he died, when he died to self, the church expanded and exploded. (laughs) When we can have a selfless church that seeks the purposes of God above my own comfort, willing to lay things down and work hard, The gospel will explode. The church will expand. Amazing. The last point is that when when Stephen was being stoned, there was a young man by the name of Saul who was looking on. And a chapter later, he has an encounter with God that transforms him forever. And most of our New Testament was bought by him. One of the most significant missionaries, incredible man of God. You don't know who's going to be impacted by your generosity with your work. Watching you die might change somebody else's life. It did here. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.